0: You will say it won't change me. You guys would say that, now nah, I'm going to play the lottery, but I'd still go to work tomorrow. I love it. Shut up. That's just a stupid thing to say, just so you know. Like, you don't look noble and righteous like you think you do. You look stupid when you say that. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, we have much more fallout from UFC 296 that I want to get to. Coming up, everyone seems to have forgotten about the Ian Gary drama. I have many more thoughts on Sean Strickland and Du Plessis. Plus, I can't figure out why no one seems to like Lahal Mohammed. All of that is coming up. But let's begin by addressing what happened in the main event last weekend. Colby Lee on what happened? I mean, what happened? It's been a few days. What happened? So, I've got to give Leon praise right off the bat, and this is from a personal standpoint. When I used to compete, I put a lot of focus and attention into the mental side. And post-college, when I looked back on my time as an athlete in college... Most of my regrets came from the mental side, whatever that might be, but the approach. And then they they put out books on this. I started working with Dr. Ed Versteg and sports psychologist. We even did some things through hypnosis. I had a point in my MMA career, I had been dominant, absolutely dominant. And I'd lost a handful of fights, but I was whipping them all. And then as I looked a little closer, this is right on SureDog.com, right? This is, this is me, but I don't know this about myself till I look at it. I lost them all in the second round. Well, what a weird coincidence that would be. And they were all by submission. And they weren't like to some great submission guy. I had been through Abu Dhabi twice at that point and had never been submitted. But all of a sudden, I'm getting submitted in, in matches. It's going through practices and wasn't getting submitted, but I'm getting submitted in matches. I realized, no, I, I don't have a physical problem. I have a mental problem. I don't know what it is. My point to you is I put a lot of focus on that. And I would always be in my hotel cutting weight and getting down to 185. Just be this miserable experience. But I would really take inventory of what I was up against. I'm a two and a half to one underdog. Or sometimes there's a short notice fight. I've only known about it for eight days. And different situations where it was the crowd doesn't believe in you, or you are fully aware from a logical standpoint that you are not at your best because you didn't have time. I mean, it's one of these things, but how am I going to deal with it? I still got to win. One time I had a broken arm. How am I going to do that? What strategy am I going to have? I still have to find a way to win. And I would find myself in, in unusually difficult circumstances at least within my own mind, but then I would realize what an opportunity that was. If I can overcome this, then I have won. This battle that I've had since college, this battle to overcome the mental side, if I can overcome it for this, I will have won. I'll never have to doubt myself again. But then each match, it would present something new. Something new, you never know that your arm's gonna be hurt. You didn't know you were gonna get called on eight days notice. But there would always be something. There would also always be a challenge. I say that because let's look at Leon's last three, okay? The head kick hurt around the world. This is a fight that Leon had lost mathematically, right? His fight with Kamara Usman, all he had to do was beat the clock. He does not have to beat Kamara. He does not have to punch Kamara again. I apologize. Kamara doesn't need to punch Leon again. He just needs to run out the clock. And Leon was exhausted. And Dean Thomas weighed in with a special commentary. And Dean, who was a great athlete, but he was an even better coach, came in from a coaching perspective of what he saw with an athlete in between rounds in the corner. And he was talking about Leon. And Dean openly, and it was critical, but he was spot on and he had the courage to say it. Leon was no longer trying to win that fight. He was just trying to get through the fight. Fine. As an audience member, I hope that I've explained that well. But as an athlete, I knew exactly what Dean was talking about. And he was, that's exactly what was happening. So somewhere within that, he changed his mind, even if for a split second, set up a kick, threw it. Won a world championship. So that, that's a lot to overcome, but that's what he overcame that night. So he would be able to go back. You talk about building confidence. Be able to go back and tell himself, no matter how bad things are, I can still try and I can still do it. Great. Well, now they're going to take him home. All right? for the trilogy fight with Kamara Usman, his first title defense, his first time making actual money, and they're going to take him home. And in every sport, there's a home field advantage. There's a very good reason why the Super Bowl doesn't get played in one of the team's home stadiums. It is such an advantage. In every sport, that's true, except this one. It is a home field disadvantage. The pressures that are put on an athlete at times are insurmountable. At times, he he will underperform and nearly never will they overperform due to the raw innovation of a hometown crowd. And I would submit for you that that was Leon's best performance. Notwithstanding what he just did with Covington over the weekend. I believe the third fight with Kamara to be Leon's best performance. Regardless of outcome. They could have raised Kamara's hand. I would still submit for you that Leon had the best showing of his career that night. So it was another thing. It was another mental thing that he overcame. And now let's go in to this weekend. Leon lost his temper, which Leon never does. Leon threw something at Colby. I thought it was a water, but I read it was the microphone. Things got so heated, they ended the press conference. That is not a way that Leon behaves. Leon then shares with us that he was in tears, behind the scenes, out of anger. But he knew He knew he's got to bring himself down. And that is a trick that very few athletes know. That is a trick that very few coaches know. That's a a trick that absolutely no parent knows. I coach kids. I'm around parents all the time. I will have dads walk up to the kid mat side right before we're going to walk onto the mat and tell the kid, get psyched up. There is no such thing. You damn sure can get psyched out, but you can't get psyched up. And Leon knew he was psyched and he knew he had to bring it down. See, that's the trick. People always try to go up. Sometimes you got to pull that emotion down. And that was the test that he had, right? When I talked to you about when I personally was in hotel rooms and I'd start taking inventory of what am I facing this time? Well, those were three very unique and very difficult challenges mentally that Leon had. And he passed the test three times. Now, When we look at the actual fight, first off, Leon is better than we knew that he was. And you guys have been singing the Leon praises for years. I mean, way back to to COVID time when everything got shut down. So was that 2020 and you guys were saying, hey, he should be fighting for a title. you guys did a great job of defending and inserting Leon. And he was not doing a great job of defending and inserting himself. He was doing a great job of getting his hand raised But he wasn't doing a great job of bringing interest. And there was very good reason why Leon could win six in a row and seven in a row and eight in a row and not get a title fight when Kamara Usman is still the champion. See, that was a rematch, and and a lot of the audience didn't know that. Kamara wasn't Kamara at the time they fought. Leon wasn't Leon at the time they fought. So a lot of people didn't know that was a rematch, but Dana does. He's going, hey, I did a few rounds of this. Leon didn't win any of those rounds. I, I don't, it doesn't really matter how many he won in between. I can't just go repackage this match, right? Like, I mean, there's a couple of challenges that when you look back at the timeline, you, you have to make sure that you know. Leon goes out and he fights. And he was even able to find takedowns. And the great intangible is Colby's pace. That was the intangible when he was 11 years old That was an intangible in the Pac 10 finals. That was an intangible in the NCAA quarterfinals. It's an intangible in every single fight that he has had. His pace. And Leon was aware of it. And Leon spoke on it. And he was worried. He openly said that before the fight. I am a better fighter. I can beat him here, here, and here. This is Leon talking. But his cardio is intimidating. So. I say that because Leon held up, and Leon never started to do math, and he never started to take inventory, right? I mean, once he had three rounds secured, he did not begin to eat up clock and sail in the next two rounds. He tried to win those two. And then he's out there challenging himself to take the decorated wrestler down, which nobody to my memory has done. I don't remember anybody getting on top of Colby. so. A very good performance by Leon. No way around it. Let's look at the other side. Colby, what happened? I have not seen that Colby fight before. I have not seen that Colby in a wrestling match. I have not seen that Colby in a practice room. But one thing that I admired and I don't want you guys to miss, he never said what it was and he never will there was something. He was dealing with something. Something wasn't feeling right. Something wasn't as it should be. And he never made an excuse. He never said anything about it. Not before the fight, not after the fight. And that's a new thing with fighters, man. If they can get an x-ray or an MRI or be in the emergency room or say, I lied to the commission. Ha ha ha. And believe me, the commission will do nothing. You can lie to that commission all you want out there in Nevada. They will do nothing if you lie on a form and swear on a stack of Bibles that your body is willing and able, and then come out and say, I fooled you guys, they will do nothing. And every fighter does it, but Colby did not. Within that fight and early in that fight, Colby felt something that we couldn't see. I don't know what that was. And I went back and I was watching those first few minutes. I was watching those first few minutes. And there is times that Leon changes stance. He goes from orthodox to southpaw but Colby's dealt with all that before. Leon didn't throw anything that Colby hasn't had thrown at him, right? I mean, you got a one and a two and you got to kick over this way and you're going to move this way. and He's going to bob his head a little bit. There was, it, it was very much by the numbers. It was a very basic, which is what the greats do. The champions went on the basics, but there was still something and it could have been range. Leon could have been standing just for example, when I tell you there was something Colby felt, Leon could have been standing a quarter inch outside of range, but there was something where Colby wasn't getting the looks that he wanted, so he kept moving. He kept moving. He kept trying to buy. He kept trying to buy time. Time's ticking down. He takes a shot. He's moving around. He's trying. He's trying to create something. He's looking for something that he never found. I don't know what that was. And Colby, after the fight, the closest he came to an excuse, and I didn't find it to be an excuse at all. I thought he answered the question very honestly. He said, man, I haven't been here in a long time. And then to remedy that, to fix that, to to learn from his mistake, he wasted no time in calling out Wonderboy. And there's a real message in that. When Colby tells you, man, I had some ring rust, I haven't been here in a long time. I would like to know why he hasn't. I know that he tried. I mean, I know he flew out to England nine months ago to do a fight and did a full training camp for it. And what was the delay? Who was the one that held that match up? It's not meant to be salacious over an overly big deal. I'm just curious. And generally, something so simple would be revealed to us, the audience, but it never was in this case. It's been revealed to us countless times that every fighter gets three fights per year. Well, There's a champion, and he got two. But per the contract that's been revealed to us, he has to be offered three. So was he offered the third, or was there a breach? I'm good with it either way, but if he was offered a fight, when was he offered the fight? And what did he say, and why did he not do it? And for Colby to learn from that, on the spot, openly acknowledge. And that's another thing that would lend to my example of not being able to quite find that range. That's one of the things that go. When you talk about ring rust, it's a very hard thing to define. But a lot of it is just your eyes. Your eyes don't see it because it's a different speed than anything you can duplicate in the practice room. So to learn from the mistake and to show the sincerity, Colby wasted no time in saying, I've made a mistake once. I'm not going to make it again. I'm going to rebook and I'm going to get it right after it. And in this case, it was with Wonderboy. There was even a criticism given Leon, about him reverting to tactics that he had not generally used before, which was specifically the takedowns. But I, I don't see that same criticism. I thought it was a compliment. And I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging when somebody does a good job and you tip your hat to them. So what? But if I can openly tell you, having seen Colby compete for the first time at 11 years old, having been in the practice room and even been a training partner of his, having seen every fight that he's had, most of them live, that was the worst Colby I've ever seen. I've just simply never seen that Colby. And he still went 25 minutes easily. Could have gone another 25 with the best guy in the world. And it feels to you like this is the time to kick sand in a guy's face. On your best day, you couldn't go 25 minutes with Leon. He did it easily on his worst. So think about that. Just think about that. Will Colby Covington fight again now? I got to tell you, I've been getting asked this question a lot on social media, but I think the reason I'm getting asked is I said on the broadcast that I didn't know if he would. So, let me clarify that. I mean, let's just back up a little bit. First off, that is based on no inside information. That is based on me knowing Colby since he was a little boy. And there has never been a day since I've known him that he projected or was motivated for anything less than the championship. I mean, in in his wrestling days, it would have been the Olympic championship. In his kids' days, there was something called the Western Regionals. The Western Regionals in wrestling is is very difficult for kids wrestling. They take the Western States, which is 11 states. They don't have a national tournament for that age group but they will break the country into regions. So it's 11 states all get together for one championship. He gets into high school, it was a high school championship. Gets into college, it was the NCAA. I mean, I'm just saying like whatever the absolute biggest prize that was available is the only thing that he was after. So when he gets over into the UFC, that hasn't changed. And when I suggest, well, I don't know if he'll fight again. A deeper thought on that would just be he's going to have to refocus. A deeper thought on that would just be a matter of what is the motivation going to be? What does the road back look like? I saw somebody. I thought this was just terribly mean. They said that he had fought for three championships and failed at them all. And the reason I thought that was terribly mean is there was a fourth called the Interim Championship. He didn't fail there. There was a night that he fought the reigning BMF champion, but somehow that title didn't get put up. And it's an interesting spot. I mean, it, it really is an interesting spot. Like when I had made that comment is prior to Colby going to his press conference. Because at the press conference, Colby called out Wonderboy. And, that was awesome. Colby was a little off in the fight with Leon. I mean, he just was. It's very difficult. And it's about your eyes, guys. It's the eyes. That's just a really hard thing to explain to anybody. So a broadcast guy will tell the fan, oh, it's ring rust. Or a broadcaster will say, oh, he got tired. Or uh, he slowed down. His reactions weren't there. You'll you'll hear these things because the audience will at least understand that, but it's your eyes. There is such geometry and physics and advanced algebra that goes into every shot that you land. If that guy is off a millimeter, you miss. If that guy is off an inch, you not only miss, you look like a fool. But you got to adjust those eyes. And it's the same thing when you're on defense. What's coming at you, right? The great fighters... Don't get out of the way by a foot. (gasps) They don't flinch. The shot comes and it it just goes right by. Right, we're back to the millimeter and centimeter game. They can see those things all coming. And I just share for you, that's a speed issue. And no matter how much you're in the gym and you're sparring, you don't have that same speed coming at you. And that is what then leads to the idea of ring rust. The reason that's so important to understand is to have somebody as professional as Colby, as experienced as Colby, right? this is not just the fights you guys have seen. He had a plethora of fights. I saw his first fight. He was high school still. I'm just sharing for you. When you have somebody like that that knows themselves and they know their own body, he knew good and well walking out there with Leon. He didn't find that out once the fight started. He knew walking to that cage... I have a small problem on my hands, so I'm going to have to be good enough and fight well enough to overcome this small problem that I have, which is my eyes and reaction aren't going to be perfect. That's called bravery, and for somebody to say that he was a three-time loser, I, right? he said five, five fights for the belt, one, two of them, by the way, but I just, I thought they were missing some of that courage, some of that bravery that went into that, and it was very important particularly if you're a Team Chaos supporter. When Colby was able to be objective and identify what the problem was, which was inactivity, and to never use it as an excuse for the fight, but to go right to a press conference and call out his next opponent. Now, I don't know if Colby and Wonderboy is going to come together. I'm just speaking to the fact that when he said it, it spoke to a sincerity in Colby identifying but also being hungry and wanting to come back, wanting to do more, wanted to stay active, wanted to stay busy. And there wasn't a resistance, by the way, to going out and competing. The resistance was, I've been, and Michael Chandler's finding himself in the same spot, right? Like this is a very normal thing, but some fights just get delayed beyond what you thought was uh, going to be reasonable. It was a matter of, I don't want to lose the contendership. So I've got it. There's the champ. He's healthy. Let's get a date. I think it's a a very relevant thing. And I thought it was very mature that Colby in this moment, it's a heartbreaking moment, but he still had the wherewithal to know I got to stay active. I don't want history to repeat itself. I'm a human being. I've got to do this and I got to do it more often and more frequently. And therefore he called that wonder boy. I, don't know where that fight will go, and I'm not predicting Wonder Boy for you. But I do think there's some really interesting matches there for Colby. I mean, if you wanted me to tell you the most interesting, like, hey, Chale, you have the power, but it's got to draw. It's got to be a, a mega fight. I feel, even in defeat, I feel I could insert Colby Covington and then tell you guys he's going to be opposite Rachmaninoff, and I'm going to have all of your attention. I have talked to you guys about online data privacy before. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to protect your online privacy. I'm on the road a lot, and I often have to connect to hotel and airport internet, but I don't do it without connecting to a VPN, a virtual private network. One of the many benefits of using a VPN is to secure your connection on public Wi-Fi so you can browse in full privacy. Hackers have many methods to steal your data on public hotspots, but with a VPN, your online traffic is invisible to them. Also, government agencies, marketers, and internet service providers all love to track and collect your browsing history, messages, and other private data. This is not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. The best way to hide your data while online is using NordVPN. I believe privacy is a fundamental right and NordVPN helps to protect that right along with your data. As we head into the holiday season, avoid targeted pricing, fake websites, and -and bait-and-switch attacks with a VPN. Shop securely. Knowing your credit card details will be safe from snoopers even on public networks. Grab NordVPN's exclusive deal now at nordvpn.com and get extra subscription time. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee at nordvpn.com slash c-h-a-e-l-s-o-n-n-e-n. That's nordvpn.com slash Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring our show. Rachmanov looked terrible against Wonder Boy. What do you do with Rachmanov now? I heard that. Have you guys heard that? I gotta tell you what, I, I definitely have heard it. I sure as hell did not see it. That It stuns me, as a matter of fact. I have been stunned that that has been a narrative. Let me tell you guys something. I can't think of anybody, if I was a manager, let's just say, if I was a coach, I had guys, I had guys that fought. I can't think of anybody on the roster that I would want my guy to fight less than I would want him to fight Wonderboy. That is just a tricky, confusing match. You're not going to have sparring partners. You're not going to be able to bring guys in that can mimic Wonderboy. It is such a unique style. You can't get in his head. The guy's never had a bad day. I mean, you're just not going to rattle them before the match. It's one of those situations. Now, if you look back historically, I'd like to ask you a question. Has anybody looked good beating Wonder Boy? Who? And it's a trick question, and the answer is no. Now, Wonder Boy in victory has looked great. He's one of the night bonuses. He has had crazy knockouts. I'm talking about, has anybody beaten him and looked good doing it? The answer is no. And you, I don't believe you can criticize those guys. It is a wildly difficult situation to feel a style that you've never felt before in a must-win situation. You've got 15 minutes. you got to get 10 of those minutes right, and you get one try. It's just a very difficult thing. So if you're one of the few that has found a way to deal with Stephen Thompson, when you find that way, whatever it is, you rinse and repeat that way all night long. If you find one opening to mount an offense that works, when that situation is done, you go back to that exact same attack. It's the right thing to do. It's the way the game is played. And when I hear somebody say that Rachmanov did not look good, that stuns me. He took no damage against one of the trickiest fighters this sport has ever had. We find out that Rachmanov was hurt, that his ankle was hurt. I don't like that myself. I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't know why people bring that out. That, that, that is poor sportsmanship to, to a degree that is hard for me to even articulate. To say that I, I beat you and I even did it while I was hurt. And I know that isn't the attempt for the message, but it's a hundred percent what you're saying. Would you like Wonderboy to take away from your victory and tell you, you got a hurt ankle. Would you like Wonderboy to come out and say, well, I had two hurt ankles. You should have finished me in the first minute, you wimp. I, hate it when they do that. Not to mention it's illegal. Not against the rules, guys. It's against the law. You sign a form under penalty of perjury with a commission that will do nothing. I mean, believe me, in Nevada they will do nothing. You sign a form under penalty of perjury that you are hiding no injuries. You then go out at the discretion of a government agency And you tell the world the next day that you lied to them. I can't even tell you how much I hate it. But I would like to focus on the performance. What Rachmanov is doing is the most impressive story in sport right now. I am pausing in case you argue. Insert. Go ahead. Can we we agree that LeBron James is very good at what he does? Can we agree on that? Okay. Are you aware that LeBron James has not won his last 18 games? Are you aware that there has never been a streak in LeBron's life where he's won 18 games in a row? Are you aware of that? Okay. Can we agree that Tiger Woods is very good at his craft, or at least once was? Are you aware that he never won 17 events in a row? Are you aware of that? Ever? Ever? Go back to college. He never went, I guess it's 18 now, isn't it? For Rachmaninoff. It is shocking. Can we agree that Mike Tyson was good? Can we agree about Muhammad Ali? Can we bring George Foreman into it? All of those guys did have 18 victories in a row at some point in their career, but they didn't finish them all. I mean, what do you want to do when you're talking about domination? The most dominant athlete in the history of our sport is Khabib Nurmagomedov. The proof of that is Khabib has more 10-8 rounds, which is the most dominant thing you can possibly do. He has more 10-8 rounds than any combat athlete that includes boxers. Are you aware of that? That's an incredible stat. And therefore, Khabib at 29-0, with more 10-8 rounds than any combat athlete ever, is the most dominant athlete of all time. Do you agree? Yeah, I I sure as hell do. But I'm going to have to take a look at Rachmanov who's got 18 and 0, and by the way, finished them all. I've been around this sport as a fan since 1993. I have never heard of this. Hoyce Gracie has never heard of this. It's stunning. And it's a slow rise. Rachmanov's only commodity... Right now is his performance. But that's most athletes. And you can have massive star power. It's just a slower ride to get there. I know guys that finish fights, particularly on the ground. I know guys that can finish fights, particularly when they get in close. But there's chaos. They've got a power, they got an endurance, they combine the two, and it's just chaos. It's just chaos. And more times than not, the other guy goes down. That's not what Rachmanov did in the least on Saturday, which may have been because of the ankle injury. It may have slowed him just a bit, but he was methodical. And we don't see guys that are that methodical and then get a finish that aren't muscle sharks that aren't meaningfully stronger than their prey. Rachmaninoff went out methodically. I mean, you want a technique video? You can go to BJJ Fanatics or you can just watch what Rachmaninoff was doing. I mean, he's he's like a surgeon out there. It was one of the most incredible performances. It's one of the great stories in sport and sometimes these don't get told. And I don't know why. There has never been a boxer, never been a top boxer, 18 up, 18 down, all finishes. It's never happened. But there has been boxers that have had six, and there's boxers that had seven. There was even a boxer that had nine. And every one of them got covered by Jim Rome. Every one of them were discussed by Levitard. Every one of them were put on SportsCenter. Every one of them. Most of which got the cover, but all had pages within Sports Illustrated. I don't see this going on for Rachmaninoff. I don't know what's being missed here. We have one of the greatest and most dominant sports stories in the world right now. Far more dominant than LeBron. Far more dominant than Tiger. And it's not being discussed. As a matter of fact, not only is it not being discussed... I'm reading everywhere I turn that he had a bad performance, that it wasn't pleasing to watch. I mean, bad performance is very tough for me. Did he lose a round? Because there was two of them that were completed. Did he lose either of those? Okay, they were partway through a third one. Did you feel as though he was on his way to losing it? You didn't? Hmm. Not sure what you mean by bad. Was he hurt? No, at no point was he hurt? Okay. Was he being outstruck? No. Was he being outwrestled? No. Was he wilting? He was tired. He, he was fatigued. No, he wasn't doing any of those things. Was he not trying to improve and look for a finish at all times? Oh, he he was doing that? Did he eventually find it? Yes, he did. I, I, I get really confused. What, what part of that was bad? What part of it, if your son was a fighter, and you had the ability with a magic wand to give him what Rachmaninoff brought to the table on Saturday that was so bad. What part of that would you not want your son to have if he was going into combat? I am stunned that somebody would say that that was a bad performance. And if you want to talk about you didn't love watching it, there has never been a guy to beat Wonderboy, and there's only a small handful of guys that have ever beaten Wonderboy. Like, this isn't going to be tricky science for you to go do. Go pull up his record. You're only going to need a few fingers but nobody's ever beat him and look good. He's very hard. He has your nerves going at all times. There's never a point that you're comfortable. And Rachmanov did it all. And apparently he did it with a bad ankle. I really, I really could have done without that story. I hate that. I can't even tell you how much I hate that. But if I am led to believe and have to accept that he had a bad performance, if his performance was so bad, okay, if 18-0 all by finishes is even possible to not be an impressive thing, why was Blau Mohammed not confirmed as the next opponent for Liam? Is Leon getting the credit that he deserves? And I got to tell you, I've been surprised at a few things that I've heard coming off the back end. Now, my experience with UFC 296 is different from your experience in one way. I didn't hear the commentary. That's the only thing that is different about our experiences. I didn't get to hear what the announcers were saying. I was there. I was, at, I was at the event, right? People that were there live were just watching it. There was a thing. Let me give you an example. There was a thing that had come out that Joe Rogan was being lambassed for his comments about Leon. So what would that possibly be? And Joe had commented that, Lee, if I'm even understanding this right, it had to do, Joe had commented on Leon going out and taking down Colby. And what Joe's premise was, is that's not Leon's strengths. And in a world title fight, when the house is on fire, in the main event, you you use your strengths. And Joe was very complimentary saying his strengths were working. He did not need to go to anything else. I don't see what part of that is bad. I, I don't see what part of that is bad. And, and, and I think just from knowing Joe that he would have been impressed that he saw the takedowns, almost like surprised. As though he was celebrating that it happened. Not questioning, but see, it's, it's just one of these things. It's one of these things that brings me back to the question I asked you a moment ago. Did Leon get the credit that he deserves? I felt like there was some misunderstanding in there. And then you're told that Colby... Didn't look his best. Okay, finish that thought. So Colby didn't look his best, so what? So what do you think should have happened? So Leon should have beaten him, he did beat him. L- Leon should have won more rounds, he did win the rounds. Leon should have stopped him, is, is that what you're uh, attempting to say? Come on, now you're just being silly. He fought hard, I'm talking about Leon, the entire time. To the point that he even turned to skills that he hasn't used in the cage before. I I, I don't I don't know where the holes... In Leon's performance would have been. Now, Leon did go to a post-fight press conference. And in the spot, he denied Blah Muhammad. And to deny an opponent is fine. I just thought that was done. I thought that was done. I thought that was agreed upon. The fact that Blah was the backup fighter means that Leon could have fought him that night means Leon could have gone to that press conference having just fought in Mohammed. So if he agreed to that, it would seem that it wouldn't be any problem to agree to fight him in the future. And my evidence that Mohammed is the right guy, my evidence is Leon. Leon said that right after he got done with the trilogy with Kamar Usman, right there in England. He denied Colby Covington, but he inserted... Blahal, who has not lost sense. So uh, if Blahal was the answer then, and he hasn't lost sense, it would be very obvious that he's the answer now, according to the equation that Leon laid out, I would think. This is what I would think. Now, if Leon was just having some fun If this is what he does for marketing and there's some back and forth, I'm open. I'll listen to it. But he said that Blahal should not be able to cut the line. And is that the line for the mandate of the masses? Because you guys are all behind Mohammed. Is that the line for impressive wins within the Ultimate Fighting Championship? Because that would go to Leon. I apologize to Blahal. Would it be the line according to the rankings committee that comes out every Tuesday at 9 a.m.? That also would favor Muhammad, So, blaal has gone to work. Like, I, I don't think he expected to hear a rejection from a guy who in March of the same year was planning to become his partner. And they were going to work together to get Colby out and make that match happen. I don't think he was expecting that. Not to mention this is a former comrade. Uh, they've competed with each other before. That builds a certain bond. So I think that Blahal was caught off guard. I think. But either way, he's a professional, and he went right to work. And he is laying his case out. And he is not going to stop laying his case out. So Blahal did a piece. I'm not going to quote now. It's off the top of my head. But I read it about three hours ago. And he said that he doesn't mind Leon's words because the only word that he cares about is that of Dana. And he's already got Dana's word that he's next. And the fact that Leon doesn't want it just shows that he's scared. Okay? All right. Now, you probably would assume that that's going to go unanswered. It's not like Leon's going to answer it. This isn't a skill that Leon has. Well, not so fast. Leon said, LOL, Blahal. Calm down, son. You're the least intimidating person in this organization. (laughs) He said, I already told the UFC. I don't mind. I'll fight you next. That's easy work. You just have to figure out why they hate you so much. I must have read this thing three times. And then I have to do the little search. This got sent to me in a text message. So where'd you get that from? I got it from Twitter. I had to go on Twitter and actually search to make sure there was a verified account. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that Leon had said these things. I mean, this is brilliant work here. This is easily the, the, the greatest thing that Leon has ever done for promotion ever. He had a title fight over the weekend of which he gets a back-end financial participation. And he didn't do for that what he just did here. Okay. now calm down, son. That is just the most condescending. You can't call a grown man, son. I'm not sure that Blahal isn't a year or two older than Leon, by the way, which makes it even better. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He then says, you're the least intimidating guy in the organization. I have no problem fighting you, which is what I told the UFC. You're easy work. What you need to do is to figure out why they hate you so much. You know, I would actually like to know as well what is going on there. I mean, when I look at Blah Muhammad, that is one guy that gets everything right. Blal Mohamed, Sean O'Malley, Israel Adesanya. Right? I mean, they, they all study one another and then copy one another. Like, they, they are dead even. For spending their time not only working on their skills, but promoting their brand and getting their message to you guys. There aren't four and five and six guys in the whole sport that do that. It's just Blahal, Sean, and Izzy. So I would also be curious, and I can't act as though Blahal isn't given a certain amount of opportunities, But but, but every time you get into something there's this new challenge that's not, not only physical, but you also have a mental challenge that you've got to overcome. I mean, having everything going your way like it was for Mohammed. He was on vacation up in Canada. There was something about he was eating poutine. He gets a call and he's got to go fight Gilbert Burns in a couple of days. Oh, and by the way, this is the one. This is the number one contender. Now you've got everything on it. You've got to try to get the weight off. you got to get licensed. You've got to get to the location. you got to do your media. You got I mean, this is a mess for both of them. But what about, I mean, you want to know the true mental challenge that Muhammad's ever had to face? He was a main eventer on an absolute run. I mean, he is making a run. He gets put on an undercard against Sean Brady. Now, Sean Brady at the time was 15-0. and 0. There could not have been a way to tell a guy in any less certain terms, we're trying to get rid of you. Like there there, there wouldn't be a way to speak as clearly as he was spoken to being put on an under coming off of main events onto an undercard with a 15 and 0 hammer. And he found a way. He not only found a way, I would argue it was his best performance. So now he's got this new challenge, which by the way, he was willing to do over the weekend on eight days notice as a backup fighter against one of two guys. I mean, not for nothing. blahal has been tested and he's passed the test, right? There's a game. Not everybody has to like you. There's a game. Here's what we're gonna have you do But if you do it, well, now we like you, right? I mean, it's just the way that it goes. And I mean, that was good work by Leon. That was excellent work. That that was one of the best tweets of the year as far as generating interest. Not to mention, it was G-rated. He didn't have to use profanity. He didn't have to make it dirty. He got his point across. He says he's not intimidated by Blahal Muhammad. Well, Blahal's a pretty intimidating guy. I think everybody else would agree. But this is the champion of the world. He's got the right to feel the way he feels. But, nothing has made me as sure that we're going to see this fight as that text essentially dismissing the fight. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language, but you didn't feel like you had the time or even the energy to invest? Maybe you took some classes in high school or college, but you haven't practiced in years. Or maybe you just want to impress your girlfriend's parents by learning their native language. Rosetta Stone has you covered. They have been the expert in language learning for 30 years and have been used by millions of people. You can download the app onto your phone or your tablet so you can learn on the go. I know many of you did not have the time to take a class or read through a book. Rosetta Stone has made learning convenient and effective through their immersive learning approach. What do I mean by immersive? Immersive. Well, it's the same thing as if you watch MMA fights on TV, but you never get into the gym. Getting into the gym and taking kickboxing or jiu-jitsu classes helps you to understand the sport and become one with it. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real Authentic conversation. Not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer or language learning. You can take Rosetta Stone with you under the treadmill in your daily commute or even start the day while you're getting ready for work with just 10 minutes a lesson. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's all you have to do. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today, did Ian Gary get sick at the perfect time? I mean, any court case, from a strategic standpoint, will always try to push it out. Just get get space, right? Time heals all wounds. Get space, get space. I feel like Gary's thing is done. I don't don't overly hear anybody talking about it. And by the way, you don't do great bringing up old news. I mean, not, not for nothing, but... What would the point of that be? Is completely died out of the headlines. I don't know how he would have handled that. It seems as though Gary gets good advice. It seems like he's a coachable guy. This is me as an outsider just looking at him, looking at his skills, looking at some of the things that he does. I feel like he gets it right. I feel like he's got really good advisors around him. He did not have good PR advice. But it does. I don't think he's going to need it. Right? I mean... Gary was the hottest thing in terms of of drama. That was the most uncomfortable. That was the most forbidden topic. And then you hold a press conference. Colby Leon took that away from him. And the very next day, I'm not sure what Drikas had said to to Strickland isn't even more so. And then you have the actual fight between Drikas and Strickland. And you have Leon winning and then denying Mohammed. I mean, Leon even said, I just don't think Muhammad should be able to cut the line. And I I really would like clarity on that, by the way. But before I digress uh, down that road, it would just seem as though if the biggest opponent you were facing was the questions of the topic that are so sensitive because it involves your wife and your family. I think he won. I don't think he's going to have to deal with that again. I mean, I, I I don't think that he would have to deal with that today if there was a press conference. Today. And the reality is he won't be at a press conference until Miami in almost four months. So I think we are done with that one. He avoided that opponent, but don't forget, he also avoided Luque. I mean, not for nothing, that's an interesting match. And I know there's people within that gym that would have very strong opinions on what would have happened had that match happened. But none of them have talked, not even Luke A himself. Everybody has been very quiet about what they saw in the gym or sparring sessions. Everybody's been polite, real gentlemen about that. I would be curious, moreover, with Gary if he returns to that gym. That's one piece of this that I've I've never felt we put paid to. I don't know where Gary was training when he left Leon's gym. Is that called Renegade? When he left Renegade, I don't know where he went. And I did see a video it was just kind of like Ian in the corner. There was a window in the backdrop. There there, there was a gym out this away, but I couldn't see it. I didn't see a single person. I didn't see a single coach. But it felt like he was in an organized gym with a team setting. It felt that way. But I don't actually know it. And there were so many very interesting things. You know, if the WAG thing is going to come back up, the one that's going to have to bring it up is Jeff Neal. And I don't know that Jeff's going to do that. The other side of that is Gary brought up old stuff on Jeff. Like me saying that there's an expiration date, things can be revived. I mean, Gary brought forward a a mugshot of Jeff on the t-shirt. So it's not as though Jeff's going to go and play nice, but there is another side where there is going to be a part, even if you call it respect and you get respect through fear, there is going to be a part of Jeff Neal. Hey, leave that guy alone. Don't piss that guy off. When I did nothing to that guy, he went out and found this mugshot and, and brought it up and put it on t-shirts. When I did nothing to him, if I piss him off, what, what is he willing to do? Like, it's just one of these things. And I would be curious if Gary is going to return to that gym. You will not find fighters that float around that do well. Like, there's a consistency that has to happen in professional sport. Period. There's a consistency. We're trying to go to bed at a similar time and get up each morning at a similar time. Your caloric intake is, has to do with your fats, your carbohydrates, and your proteins. Like, it's going to be similar every day. And there's just not anybody that you could find that floats around. In fact, you could do the opposite, though. You could find guys that float around that quit doing well. Here, I'll give an example, not to pick on him, but because it's a name that you know, but that would be Conor McGregor. When Conor was at Straight Blast Gym, he was champion of the world. When he was at Straight Blast Gym, he was a two-time, simultaneous champion of the world. When you start seeing results that weren't consistent with that of a two-time champion of the world, you also start reading reports. He did train in Abu Dhabi. That one, I'd, I have the foggiest idea what that was about, but I'm, I'm just sharing for you, right? When, they're, when you're moving around, that lack of stability, that lack of who you can trust, that lack of consistent training partners, you have to be in an environment at a minimum. If you find the right environment, you're not guaranteed success. But if you don't put yourself in an environment, coaches that you look up to, not coaches that you coach, not you come and you tell the coach, okay, we're going to do three or four or five rounds of this. There's coaches out there for hundred bucks an hour. They'll they'll put you through that. But the champions don't have guys like that. And I think Gary's in a pretty good spot myself. I like him to buckle back down on the training. This was of no fault of his own. He was doing the best that he could. He was at a gym. He's going to fight his teammate. He tries to solve that problem so it's not awkward on anybody. And then he gets asked to leave. i mean, like, this isn't Gary's fault. But but now that we're here, listening to what the guys out there at Kill Cliff MMA had to say, they're very welcome to him coming back. Michael Chandler said that. Luke said that. Brady said that. Brady even said, I don't, I don't even like this guy. Yeah, he could come back. So I'll just be curious what he does. But I think as far as the book and the wag and the the, the whole routine there, I think that that's behind him. And, and, and that's possibly a good thing. But there was going to be some real things that were going to be learned by going through that experience. I mean, when I tell you that he has very bad PR, it is very bad PR. And and even if you were going to stub your toe a couple of times, there would have been a learning curve. There's a place in Thailand, and they'll teach you how to sword fight in one hour, guaranteed. It's $500 for the hour. But in one hour, you will know how to sword fight, guaranteed. Do you, like, know what their trick is? They use real swords. That's what the trick is. You sign a waiver and then you get a real sword. So if you screw up, you're gonna lose an arm. And I'm, ju- I'm just sharing for you, right? Like that theory of you wanna teach somebody how to swim, throw them in the deep end. Like, y- y- there's a truth to that. But as far as Gary and the wag and Gary and Vince Luke a, for me, for now, those feel like distant memories. set records in the heavyweight division because of the Cleveland Fire Department and Sean Strickland is going to set records at 185 pounds because of that POS car. Would you like to hear me out? Alright. Steve Amiocic, one thing that happens when you become champion it puts you in a built-in PR tour. Your phone is going to be ringing and your bookings and the dates and where you need to be. Opportunities are going to open. Shows and media, right? This sport as a business, does not exist without media opportunities and exposure. But you can't get those. They're reserved for a select few. So if you become the champion of the world, who, by the way, is very handsome, who, by the way, is college educated, who, by the way, is a first responder, all of a sudden, people would like to have you on their programs. And you've got to fly out, you've got to go do those programs in person. That has cost more champions the belt than anything else in UFC history. That right there. All of a sudden, you're not doing what you did to get there, right? If you want something different, real easy, do something different. So all of a sudden, you're training at midnight on a treadmill in the hotel gym instead of two sessions a day at your gym with your teammates in a familiar environment with your coaches. And all of a sudden those add up and you got to be in LA and then you're going to stay the night because you're going to do another show. Then you're going to catch a red eye and you're going to go out to New York. You get a couple of hits there. Then you'll fly back to Cleveland. You're going to have a day to rest and recover from the jet lag and the travel. Then you'll be back in the gym before you know it, you lost a week. And you're going to do four of those before your next fight, which is only 12 weeks away. 33% of your training is gone. That has cost more champions the belt than anything else. And one of the reasons Stepe was able to keep that belt so long and set the records that he does is because he kept the job within the fire department. And when he got asked to go and do these media opportunities and him saying, no, I'm on the schedule, I've got to work. There was no way to argue that. Like, there was nobody that could argue and say, oh, no, hey, you don't need that fire department. I don't think anything's going to catch fire this time of year, Steve May. Come on. Right? I mean, there's no way around it. So there he is. He's at home with his wife and child, in bed on time, doing the right things, up in the morning, eating the right foods, going to the gym, getting the right training, getting the right advice, staying consistent, working to get better. That is literally the only difference between Stipe and every other champion there has been. And he is the champion that set records. Not very many guys know how to deal with success. And you will say it won't change me. You guys would say that, now I'm going to play the lottery, but I'd still go to work tomorrow. I love it. Shut up. That's just a stupid thing to say. Just just so you know. Like, you don't look noble and righteous like you think you do. You look stupid when you say that. But most guys can't deal with that level of success. They don't believe that they should have it. They don't believe that they should have the money. So the first thing they do is they go spend the money. So now they don't have it. Now they're back to where they saw themselves. But Sean Strickland didn't do that. He's driving that same car has been limping him up and down the highway for the last decade. It's very relevant. It truly is very relevant. He is the same guy going to the same gym, doing the same things. His media hasn't even changed. You guys might listen up a little bit more now. But if you did go listen and then you juxtapose it against his old media, he's doing the same stuff. He's the same guy. And it's a very relevant factor because this match with Duplicy is a grudge match and you don't get a true grudge match very often, there is nothing in combat that sells like a true grudge. Nothing. Nationalistic has always been an angle that particularly boxing will go after, and it's seen real success. Championships and titles, they're just important. There used to be things in life that you had to fight for. Like, if you had a tribe or a village, it was very important that you had a good fighter within that tribe or a village. Because if other people came and found you, they're going to take your tribe and village. They might even take your life, unless you had somebody that could fight back. But we're not in that spot anymore. If you were to lose a fight, you lose a little bit of money and a little prestige. So what are we fighting for? We're not fighting for territory. We're not fighting for life. So some promoter got an idea late 1800s, and he threw a belt out there, and they went and fought for that. I'm one of those guys, dedicated my life to go winning that belt that some promoter threw on the ground. Said, only one of you gets it. It'll be the best one of you. That was enough. It's enough for most. But a true grudge is very, very rare. And this is the second that Duplessis has found himself in. I mean, maybe we need to give him some credit. You know, it, it looked like he had just kind of caught lightning in a bottle with Adesanya, the right dance partner. You come at Izzy, he's going to come at you. A lot of champions won't. They'll dismiss you. They'll dismiss you because they're up here. They're the champion. You're trying to get to them. They won't address you. Adesanya will. And Duplessis was smart enough to know that when he went after him. And that is the hottest storyline that I've ever observed. But now you have Duplessis back. And I don't even know what he was doing there fighting Strickland. I don't. I literally don't even know where that came from. My guess is either Izzy or Chemayev is penciled in for UFC 300. So they need to get a championship match done to then draw in, and I believe they would like it in that order, Izzy in a rematch against Sean, or Izzy finally in the grudge match against Duplessis. If they can't get Izzy... Bring it to my that's what I believe. But there, there, there's some kind of a rush to do this match, and it doesn't feel that way now. Now we're all counting down the minutes, but when it was booked, it did feel that way. And I didn't know what Duplessis was doing here. Why is Duplessis being given an opportunity for the same belt that he refused to try for when Strickland got the call and went in and won it? That was my question, and. It's a very interesting spot. I mean, that's where we were as recently as a week ago. Duplessis got on stage at a press conference one time with a microphone and did all of the right things. I don't think he had a grudge with Strickland. I don't think he had any heat with Strickland at all. I didn't think Duplessis was the kind of guy that went around and had heat. I thought he just had it with Izzy. That's what it appeared to me. But maybe we've got a real marketing juggernaut over here and need to give him a little bit more credit. I gotta tell you, Not for nothing, Duplessis has charm. He was very charismatic on that stage. Truly. It was done in his eyes. It was done in his smile. He was a real handsome guy. Can Duplessis go 25 minutes hard? It's a good question. Many of your champions can go 25 minutes hard until they become champion. And then they get sucked into the media tour. Then they're bringing along a coach that'll hold mitts for them and a stairwell of a hotel before they get up and get in a chauffeur ride to go to the next set and go to the green room and go sit on Ellen's couch, right? I mean, that literally, literally the built-in PR and media tour that comes with being champion has cost more champions the title than anything. But I don't think that's going to get Strickland. And I don't know if Duplicy can go 25 minutes. I don't have evidence that he can't but I know Strickland can. And I do think it matters. And Duplessis is a two-to-one favorite. Duplessis has been out for a meaningful amount of time. Was, guys, wasn't it international fight weekend when he fought Robert Whitaker? I mean, that, that is a meaningful period of time to be out. Does that factor in? Does that help? Just how good is Duplessis? I just did a piece with ESPN Was it Daniel Cormier or was it John Anik? But one of the two suggested Duplessis as a fighter of the year for the entire year. He only had one match. And you know what? I can't disagree. I can't disagree that he should be in the discussion. I don't know how he would move in front of an Islam or a a, a Leon, but that one performance over Robert Whitaker, there's not five guys in the history of the middleweight division that could beat that guy. Not that guy. Can he bring him back? Is he still there? Where did he come from? What took so long? I I mean, Duplessis really is one of the more fascinating stories if you want to sit down and study. Sean O'Malley was able to go from 10 to 1 with one win. In 15 minutes, he went from number 10 to number 1, which he parlayed into a world title fight in the standing that he has today. That was remarkable. But Duplessis was an curtain jerker on an undercard on a show that wasn't even sold out. December 10th of last year was so abysmal. They did not want to do the fight. It was supposed to be Prohaska and Glover. They did everything they could do to not do the fight. They even allowed a rumor of Jones versus Stipe to come into play. That they knew was not going to happen, but they allowed the rumor because there was no interest for the card. On this down of a card. And Duplessis was still on a prelim. And he said, that's bull. You know what? And he stood up for himself and he fought back. And now he's sharing the main stage. Now he's sitting in the cool guy seats that you can't even buy. Now he's getting ready to headline a pay-per-view. And the winner of that is going to draw into 300. And where that goes, I don't know. Is that Izzy or is that Shemaya? I don't know. There is for sure a massive plan for the winner of this fight. For sure. And what a difference a day makes. And before you go and think that that's good money at two to one, I just remind you, you don't know if he can go five rounds. You don't even know how he's going to do in a main event. It's a completely different feel. It's a completely different pressure. Meanwhile, Sean Strickland lives in five rounds. All he does is main events. I'm just sharing with you. You're the ones that always tell me how important experience is. You're the ones that always want to talk about how important confidence is. I don't go around using those words. You do. Well, one guy has them both. But according to you, he's the underdog. Bo Nickel, UFC 300. That's what he says. That's what he says. And Bo has never trolled us. He's never even had fun with us. I wish he'd have more fun. I like Bo. I like the topic of Bo. I think Bo's fun. I think he's interesting. I wouldn't mind if he played the game a little bit, just trying to get headlines or captions. I wouldn't mind that. But he doesn't. And the relevance to that is when he puts out a message and says, I'm fighting at UFC 300. I believe he's fighting at UFC 300. Now, where's he been? I mean, let's start with that. UFC 300? Are you talking about the show? Next year? The one in April of next year? What are you talking about? Not for nothing. What are you talking about? Bo had a fight this year and tough guy. He fought a tough guy. Guy was like seven and two. But Bo was a 24 to one favorite. They call it 2400. It was the biggest spread in the history of the UFC. That was a stat that was put out, I'm quoting. And fine, fine. But it it turned out they were right. There, There was no part of that. I'm not positive Bo worked up a sweat unless he did it in the warmup. The relevance being pretty hot, red hot, and completely healthy that is the kind of guy that would get a turnaround. That's the kind of guy that would be looking to get turned around. There's been opportunities at 185 pounds. I mean, Kamara Usman, when it took one, Kamar Usman is not a 185 pounder. That's how badly somebody that could fog a mirror was needed. And I never heard anything. And I just wondered why. I didn't like that I didn't, but I did wonder why. And now I'm being told UFC 300. That's next year. <laughs> I why? Why are we waiting so long? Where where have we been? And there's nothing that matters. I know I know Bo would like a ranking, and Bo's a true competitor. I, I understand those things. But there is nothing that matters more than your placement on a card. It trumps everything. If you could have a black belt in an art, or you could be a main event and the black belt's fighting down here, you take the main event. Every time. If you could be ranked number three in the world, or you could be ranked nothing and fight 25 minutes after the guy that's number three in the world, you won. There is nothing that trumps it. I want to tell you why this is so important. Do you know why Conor McGregor, the sport's biggest star, will not be fighting at UFC 300? Do you know the answer as to why? Nothing to do with USADA, nothing to do with Michael Chandler, nothing to do with Conor and his training. Do you know why? Because it's not a title fight. UFC 300 will be capped off with a world title. Likely on that card, there's going to be three world titles. But the last fight of the night will be a championship match. So if you put Conor on the card, it means he can't be the main event. If you took your biggest star and you placed him anywhere on a card, but main event, you have demoted your biggest star. That is why he can't fight at UFC 300. I'm giving you that scenario to get you to understand how important card placement is. Now, Bo has been main card for his fights. Bo was main event for both of his contender series, if you want to go to what everybody was looking for, if you want to go what all the media was covering, if you want to go to an athlete on contender series that Dana White was doing interviews about prior to the airing. So without the ranking, without a pending title opportunity, it would seem, as long as he he has the most important thing, he's got the placement. If he goes at UFC 300 and we're gonna play par for the course, right? We're we're going to continue to bring in a guy, right? We're gonna search gas stations, bowling alleys to find opponents. If, if, If that's what we're going to do, you're not going to be on the main card. And that is a massive problem that I don't think Bo knows. I I don't think Bo would ever think, what what do I care? It's a fight. It's opponent. I want to do it. It's UFC 300. It's a special night. It it matters. It matters. Okay. Matters so much that they're not going to put their biggest star on their biggest show ever because they would be demoting him. And I bring that to you because Bo gave us very little evidence, right? Like, I got to be my own detective here. First off, is Bo for the first time ever trolling? Is this wishful thinking? Was that his way of throwing his proverbial hat into the ring? Maybe. But because he's never done that, I'm going to take it as though he has inside information that he will be competing at UFC 300. So now... If you're going to compete at UFC 300 and you're a main card fighter, do not agree to fight at 300 if you're not on the main card. To start with, we got to start with that. There has been a meaningful break. I can't remember Bo's last fight. I know it was a 24, to one, and I, I know he didn't break a sweat, and he was out of there in the first round. Like, I remember certain things about it, but I don't know when it was. Was that summertime? That would feel right. I didn't even kind of run through the gears. It wasn't in Boston in August. It wasn't in Abu Dhabi in October. It wasn't at MSG in November. It wasn't at T-Mobile in December. Yeah, it must have been summertime. So by the time 300 rolls around in April of 2020, we're sitting for almost a year in the prime of your career to come back against, help me out. Now, I don't think that will be the case. I think we have some very exciting news coming. I think that Bo is going to have a very meaningful opponent. And I can only begin to speculate on who that was. I mean, there's a a lot of shakeup that needs to be done at 185. They have the bodies. It's not a matter of we have to go out and find the guys. The guys are there under contract now. They just can't get matches with the stars. Right? It's one of those things. And there's got to be some shakeup. There has to be some parity. I mean, Adesanya himself got tired of fighting at 185. It's is all the same guys. And I do think the boat could splash right into that. But who's he going to do it against? The winner of Whitaker, Paula Costa? That'd be great. It's hard to count on. Paula fights once every couple of years, and Whitaker, it's hard to get him to agree to a fight. It's, that's just the reality. But well, you got Jemayev sitting out there. Now, before you think, why am I throwing a Chimayev and a bow in there? I'm going to rise one and I'm going to sink the other. I understand all of these things, but, but you've got a real log jam at the top and there's got to be some kind of a mix-up. I'm not predicting for you it's going to be Chimayev. I'm not making a prediction for you at all. What I'm telling you in no uncertain terms is it can't be par for the course. If it's par for the course, he loses the only thing that he has, which is main card placement. So... If he has an opponent, okay, great. If they're preserving that and not giving it to us, okay, fine. I don't think he would do half an announcement. I don't think he would say, I'm going to fight and then not say who the opponent was. So he needs to be very strategic right now. He needs to work like hell to find the right opponent. He's got to do that. And he's got to maintain that main card. If it's a tough opponent on an undercard, oh, you just got doubly hit. But you you can't be undefeated. You can't have five fights. You can't finish them all within the first round and get demoted. It just shouldn't work that way. So he's got a good argument. He's got a good place to jump off. He's got people that are going to back him up. You're looking at one of them. I'm going to back him up. I'm going to stand by him wherever he goes. But he does need to be strategic here. And it's an incredible story. The Bo Nickel story is an incredible one from a piece of marketing because Bo Nickel has been called out one time one time. And he was called out for his position. He was called out because he was put on the main card. He was called out by an undercarder who wanted the spot, didn't give a damn about Bo, didn't care about the rankings, didn't care about the money, wanted his spot, did not want to be on the prelims. They were booked on the same card in the same weight class. Bo was main card, the date was December 10th, and the young man that called him out his named Drekus Duplisi. Bo got hurt, came off the car. Drekus won into the main car for his first time ever. And six months later, was named the number one contender. One year and 19 days later, he will be fighting for the world championship against Sean Strickland. That is how important card placement is. Do not let it go. Do not think it's an honor or reward to fight at UFC 300. It's none of those things if you're being demoted. It's only got one thing. It's not a belt, not a championship, it's not pay-per-view points, but it is beautiful card placement. That's the one thing Sean O'Malley had, but Sean O'Malley knew how to use it. And he knew how to keep it. Don't lose sight of the game that's being played though. Alright guys, that is it for today's episode Thank you for listening I am off next Tuesday So I just want to say while I've got you here Thank you for all the support this year I want to wish you and your families a very Merry Christmas Enjoy the holiday season I'm going to be back on Friday Until then, I'm Jail Sutton, And you are welcome